G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. The first lesson I want you to understand when you're waiting on God is this. God's sense of timing seldom conforms to ours. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff is progressing through Mark in the Bible. And today we're in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, where Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. Pastor Jeff uses this passage to talk about waiting on God. We do a lot of waiting in our daily lives, and usually our sense of timing doesn't match with God's timing. So let's hear from Pastor Jeff now to see what we can apply to our lives from this passage. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. While you're holding that, just got a question to ask you, and it's an important one, all right? And think about this. How do you feel about waiting? What do you think about, how many of you just enjoy a good wait? As a matter of fact, I wrote my staff this week, and I said, hey guys, some of you send me a paragraph description of a moment of waiting that you really detest. And the first one I got was back from Jeff Snodgrass, our youth pastor. And he said, I hate it when I'm at a fast food restaurant line and they make me pull forward to wait longer. You know, it is fast food. And then on top of that, the other cars behind me get their food before I do. Makes me want to go in and say to the manager, dude, where's my food? So he doesn't like waiting like that. Our associate uh, teaching pastor sent me an email and I don't like what he wrote, but I gave them my word. If they wrote it, I would read it. So I kind of am bound to read it to you. He says, I hate waiting for Jeff Vines to hit his doggone golf ball. (laughs) He gets up there, shakes his shoulders, waggles his club, wiggles his rear end. I want to ask him why he's watching my rear end. I'm just saying. (laughs) Waggles the club again and again and finally swings the club. Of course, then we have to go and look for his golf ball in the trees. Now that's an outright lie, the third thing. There's a third staff member that chose to remain anonymous, and he says that he doesn't like to be put on hold, and then they play bad music. If you're going to put me on hold, play some 80s music or something I'm really going to like. He even said that this past week, he stood in line at Kaiser at the pharmacy for over an hour waiting to get his prescription drugs, and he doesn't like that either. He also talks about sitting at a stoplight behind an accelerator challenge driver after the light turns green go, man, go. It's green. It's green. 
Yeah, you're with me there. He also doesn't like waiting when people are merging onto the 210, man. If you're merging, either hit the gas and go in front of me or slow down, let me by you and get behind me. Don't go like this trying to make up your mind. I hate that. He hates that. He hates that. And I think the reason he wanted to remain anonymous is because of this last one. He says he hates waiting on his wife to stop talking to her friends and get in the car. All right, there you go. So I've been doing a lot of wondering about this, uh, this thing of waiting. And uh, I, I started getting serious then, especially about the single person who's been praying for a long, long time that God would provide the soulmate. You know, she or he wants to desperately be married and they've been praying for a long time. You know, let's say they're 30 now. And some of the things that are set up in my office, you know, some women and some men have told me they're afraid they're past the use-by date. I think, wow, what do you mean by that? I say, well, I'm just afraid that I'm running out of time here. So they've been praying a long time and God doesn't seem to move. And that, that's not really so funny to me anymore after having some friends that are in that predicament. I, I, think, of, I think of the couple that, and of course I have no idea what this is like, but I think of the couple that really desperately wants children. But don't you think that's a fair request? Don't you think it's fair that God provides somebody a soulmate? He says it's not good to be alone. That's in his word. And then... He told Noah to go be fruitful and multiply. So you'd think that children would be an honorable thing to ask. And there are parents who've been praying. They've tried everything, man. They can't have children. I think of the guy who wants a job. Been praying to God for a long time. He's just trying to provide for his family, man. He, he's got honest and good intentions. He's praying, he's praying. Months go by, sometimes years, he's got no job. I, I think about the lady who's depressed. And she's been praying for months and years now. She just wants to wake up one morning and she finally has a desire to live. Just one morning wants it all to go away. And what about guys who are struggling with anxiety? I know what they want. Oh yeah. They want to wake up one morning and they pray and they pray for weeks and months and sometimes maybe years, hopefully not, but maybe that is true also. They, they just want to wake up one morning and know that the, the anxiety or this blood pressure going, all that is just gone now. And they're all back to normal the way they used to be. And they pray and they pray, but the morning never seems to come. Lewis Smedes is a great, great pastor, teacher, and writer. He wrote something quite a few years back. Kind of stayed with me. He says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who by themselves cannot bring about what they hope for, we wait in darkness for the flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for the happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. And what makes our relationship with Jesus so difficult in my mind is that a lot of times when we ask him for something, they're honorable things. They're things that you would think he would want us to have. And I've been asking you as we approach this series called Remarkable, that you pretend like you're meeting Jesus for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, that you'd, you've never met him before, and you would learn some things about him and the sixth distinction that I want to bring out has to do with this arena of waiting. And he's different than all the other faith systems or religious philosophies. And we find the story in Matthew chapter five, starting with verse 21. Are you ready? Now, this is one of my favorite stories. Pastor Jeff, you say that every week. I do, I do. Because I like them all. They're all made for Hollywood, made for TV series. I mean, they're great action, but you got to unpack them and that's what we're going to do. So here we go. Jesus in verse 21. 
Again, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathers around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now look up. You need to know something about Jairus. He's a man in great authority and position who doesn't bow to anybody, no man. And yet when he comes into contact with this carpenter from Nazareth, he falls at Jesus' feet. Why? Because he gets it. He's noticed there's some power and authority associated with this man, Jesus, but he's hoping he's going to get something else besides power and authority. He's looking for a third characteristic. He's looking for somebody that actually cares, who's concerned and will show empathy. And this is why in verse 23, we read that he came and he pleads earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, Look up and picture the scene. I got to build this up for you so you understand where we're going here. Jairus has come to Jesus. The Greek actually says, the Greek actually says that she is near death. Okay. She's very close. So he's got to find Jesus and get Jesus back to his house to heal his little girl before it's too late. So I would imagine he's much like me when I take my wife to Africa and we go to the African markets. So we go to Rwanda and Zimbabwe every year. If you've never been to an African market, man, you've never lived, according to my wife. Because you get there and there's all this fruit, man. It's fruit everywhere and it's so pure fruit. You know, no pesticides, no, you know, all the stuff that we put in. Just pure, God-given, God-built fruit. And it tastes so good and it looks so voluptuous. And so she moves from the fruit over to the clothing, and you've got all these cool clothes that the Africans make. The Shona people, the indigenous people of Zimbabwe, they make some cool clothes that she would like to wear all the time, but she's afraid it'd freak you out. So as the first lady, she chooses not to wear it, but she wished she could wear it all the time. And then from there, she moves over to the curios. And man, there's some great carvings, especially in the eastern part of Africa. Their craftsmanship, their work is impeccable. And she spends time there, and then she moves on to the treasures that you find at the market. And here's what I've noticed. If I just leave her, We'll be there all day, maybe more than one. And as soon as we get there, the only thing on my mind is where's the closest golf course? I've learned a lesson. You might call it a trick and you know, guys, our women are smarter than we are. They know what we're doing. I know as long as I stay in front of her, as long as she can see me in front, the train will keep moving. <laughs> but if I get behind her or to the side and she can't see me, we're going nowhere. Now, this is what I believe Jairus is doing. He knows he's got to get Jesus from the other side of town through the city where crowds are following him wanting another miracle to his house before his daughter dies. But something happens. As he's leading the procession, he gets interrupted by another person who wants some help. And these two stories are juxtapositioned for a reason, for a purpose, and it has to do with this whole concept of waiting. So here we are, Mark chapter 5, verse 24. The large crowd follows and presses around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, everybody in the room knows what it's like to be ill and go to the doctor and actually not get better, but get worse. This woman was not only struggling with the disease, but she was struggling and suffering from the cures. And all of her money and hope is exhausted, but she's like Jairus. She discovers Jesus and maybe she thinks to herself, I've got some hope here. And here's what happens in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped 
and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. Now, go back. Catch the scene with me. Jairus is leading the procession trying to get Jesus to his house before his daughter dies. Jesus meets this lady. She fights her way through the crowd and somehow sneaks underneath and behind and touches his garment, and then she's healed. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. This is called a prayer shawl. In the first century, all your garments and the Jewish garments had these little things at the end. We call them tassels. But in reality, these borders are called canavs. And the canavs are attached to the tzitzi. And the tzitzi are these strings here that have five knots in them. And the five knots, as you see right here, represent the first five books of Moses, the Torah. And the feeling was that when you pray, and this is called a prayer shawl today, that you would put this over and you are protected by the law of God. And as long as you live within the law of God, the Torah, that you'll have safety and security and peace. And sometimes you want to have such privacy that you will take it and you'll do it like this. And this is called going into your prayer closet. So now you understand Matthew 6. You put it over your head and you pray. And you're hidden away and you're in your closet with God. Now, there is a verse in the Old Testament that says when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. Another saying or statement for the Kanav, the borders, they call them the wings. So if you put this on and you fly around, it looks like you're flying, right? It looks like you've got wings. So the saying went out that when the Messiah comes, he'll have healing in his wings. Now it was metaphorical, but this lady takes it as literal. She thinks if she can touch the garment, the kanav, the tzitzi, then she'll be healed. Now, strangely enough, that's exactly what happens. And Jesus feels the power go out of him. And he looks around and he says, who touched me? And this surprises the disciples. What do you mean who touched you? Jesus, you're in a big crowd. Who touched you? I mean, that's like asking, when I got baptized, which drop of water came into contact with me? Well, all of them, or well, most of them. Jesus, let me read it to you the way they say it. You see the people crowding against you, he says in verse 31, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. You hear that? The whole truth. Now quickly, stay with me. Here's Jairus. He's thinking, man, I've got to get Jesus to my house before my little girl dies. And he's taking the time. I mean, let me show you what the text says here. This is what Jesus does. The lady is healed. Now remember, she's better. She's healed. So you can do the interview later. She's healed. But Jesus stops. It's a casual writing here. Hey, what's up? Tell me about your situation. How long have you had this? You've sought all the doctors and all your money's gone. What did you feel when you touched the garment? And why did you try to sneak up, touch, and leave? And I'm sure Jairus is over thinking, you've got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. Think about it. How did Mark, who recorded this, know that she had exhausted her resources, that she was made worse by the doctors to record it for us, that she'd been suffering for 12 years? And the answer is because all the disciples are standing around listening to this. And I'm sure Jairus is thinking, you've got to be kidding. Now, folks, I learned something. That when you're really ill and people ask you how you are, you, you tell them your whole story. I found that out last week. My wife and I were walking back around to the back to get in the car after Sunday service. And a lady stopped and said, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, how are you doing with your illness? And I told her. I said, man, it's tough. I've been going through this like for five, six months now. 
And first the doctors gave me Celexa and they didn't know, didn't tell me that that causes heart arrhythmia in active people. Well, I'm pretty active. So I'm at the gym trying to work out and my heart rate just goes up, boom, 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 trying to keep up with my exercise. So then I almost pass out and can't even make it home. And then they give me a Tenanol, which is supposed to slow my heart down. And then they give me Ativan to slow the other part of me down. So my heart's slowing down, my brain's slowing down, but I'm in a hurry. So my body's fighting against itself. Then they give me Xanax, which is a gift from heaven. And then, (laughs) yeah, you know that. And I said, I'm fighting all this. I'm, I'm going crazy. And we got around to the back and got in the car. And my wife said to me, Jeff, honey, when people ask you how you are, they just want you to say, I'm fine or pray for me. They don't want to hear the whole story. Now, I'm sorry, but I didn't know that. I thought you really wanted to know the whole story. Because when you're ill, misery loves company. You want to tell the whole story. So Jesus is listening to the whole story. When this guy, Jairus, his daughter is dying. And he's, I'm sure, standing there thinking, you've got to be kidding. Now, stay with me, because at first glance, you're going to think, where on earth is he going with this? And I'm sure you think that every weekend, but stay with me. Here we are. This is my favorite golf course in New Zealand. We lived there 10 years. This is called Murawai Golf Club. Now, the photo doesn't do it justice. Beautiful golf course. This is the Tasman Sea. 1,100 miles straight east is Australia. And the Tasman Sea is known for just, it will bring storms, roll them in hour after hour. So, This has a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde atmosphere to it because you'll arrive here at a beautiful golf course with my buddies about nine o'clock. It could be 80 degrees. We think, man, we're going to have a great day. Within an hour, it could be hailing. Within another hour, it could be freezing cold and then raining horizontally and vertically. So it's an emotional roller coaster for us golfers. (laughs) What does that have to do with the story? Jairus is on an emotional roller coaster. One moment, he's thinking, my little girl's going to die. He's horrified. Then he finds out about Jesus, so there's hope. Then he says, will Jesus make it in time? So there's anxiety. Then he says, will Jesus even want to come? So there's fear. And then he finds Jesus. There's hope again. And then Jesus, on the way to Jairus' house, stops and has just a cordial conversation with a woman who's already been made well. And he's thinking, my goodness. You can imagine the frustration, the confusion, the anger. Tim Keller, in his book, King's Cross, on which this series is based, says the woman with a chronic condition is getting attention instead of the little girl who has an acute condition. I read this, and at first glance, it makes no sense at all. There's plenty of time for cordial conversation later. This is absolutely irrational. You know what? It's far worse. It's malpractice. Think about it. If Jesus were in the hospital, he's the doctor, and he's speaking with this woman who's already been made well, you got this little girl in the ER hooked up the wires and she dies, you're gonna sue Jesus. Only in America, but we would. <laughs> We'd sue him for malpractice. Jesus just chills. And Jairus' worst nightmare comes true. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? You can imagine that Jairus is thinking, you know, why did you do that? I mean, I know you have power and authority, but do you care? Now, have you ever asked God that? I know you have power and authority, but do you care? Are you empathetic? Are you not listening? Do you not hear me? But Jesus looks directly at Jairus according to this verse and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Trust me, be patient. There's no need to hurry. Now, every culture has its own sense of timing. But I loved it when I lived in Zimbabwe and I had a wedding with a Shona bride 
which are the indigenous people of Zimbabwe and a European groom. Because the sense of timing is totally different. And usually to a European mindset, when does the wedding start? About 15 minutes, fashionably late when the bride gets there. In the Shona mind, when does the wedding start? Well, it starts when it starts. And the bride I've been doing weddings is up to one, two, and three hours late. And I'm the one that comes out on the stage to announce, well, I know it's an hour, but just be patient. I'm assured she's on the way. And I like to go out and look at the contrast because they seat the groom's family on one side, the bride's family on the other, and you can just look out right down the dividing line. And over here on the European side, there are people who are frantic. They're panicking. What's happening? What's going on? And they just, the, the world's coming to an end. And on this side, the Shona people, it's like, life's good. I'll have another cup of Tanganda tea with a biscuit. And they could sit there for hours. Two totally different senses of timing. And the first lesson I want you to understand when you're waiting on God is this. God's sense of timing, timing seldom conforms to ours. Seldom. In fact, all through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe, trust me, be patient. And then these other two statements, and you young people back there, I want you to make sure you grab hold of this. Like I said, if you can learn this now, it's gonna save you a lot of heartache. All through the book of Mark, you find Jesus saying things like this. My grace and love are compatible with what seems to you to be an unconscionable delay. And he goes on to say later on in the book of Mark that if you impose your understanding of schedule on me, you will struggle to feel loved by me. Now take that, put it over here to the side. We're gonna come back in and get it in a few moments. God's sense of timing seldom conforms to ours. Here's the second lesson. When you go to Jesus, you'll always get more than you ask for. When you go to Jesus and you're waiting, you'll always get more than you ask for. When Jesus finally shows up at Jairus' house, what's happened? Well, she's dead. But he comes into the house, you know what he says? He says, what's all the commotion? She's just asleep and I'm here to wake her up. Now this ticks Jairus' friends off. They, they kind of laugh at Jesus. They say, whoa, I think we know the difference between a dead girl and a sleeping girl. And besides that, if she was just asleep, we'd wake her up. Wouldn't need you. And before I read to you what Jesus says in reply, remember, Jairus was expecting Jesus to heal his daughter's fever, but he's going to get something far greater than that. Verse 40, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Now see what happened? This is crucial. Jairus came to Jesus expecting a fever cure, but he got a resurrection. We're only partway through this message from Pastor Jeff, but that's where we need to pause for today. Next time, we'll see what else we can apply to our lives from this story where Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus finally shows up at Jairus' house, what's happened? Well, she's dead. But he comes into the house, you know what he says? He says, what's all the commotion? She's just asleep and I'm here to wake her up. With Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. 
Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.